Welcome to Benefits, What Like It's Hard? The podcast that breaks down the truths and misconceptions about all things benefits. Not only do we talk about what you should know about the benefits offered to you through your employer, but we also tackle topics on physical and financial wellness. I mean, come on, what more could you want from a podcast? Join me, Libby Allison, each week to hear from people just like you sharing their own experiences and experts giving us the inside scoop on the information we need to be successful. Hi everyone. Today we have what I think is a really cool topic and we have a guest with us. Her name is Carrie. Um, did you want to introduce yourself and talk a little bit about what we're going to talk about today? Yeah. Um, my name is Carrie. I am a benefit expert um, and also have had probably the unfortunate experience of going through family planning challenges, um, also known as just navigating the world of infertility benefits. So happy to be here. We get a lot of questions about this topic and I'm just going to share my experience today. Yeah, I'm excited because we were just talking about this, but I'm excited because I personally don't know a lot about this. I feel like this is something that we get questions about all the time. Um, and people are constantly looking for the right place to go for this information. So I'm excited to learn from you today. Yeah, I think the challenging thing is, with any healthcare experience really, is you don't actually learn until you've gone through it. Mm -hmm. And so it's just a intimidating topic for a lot and a a scary moment um, in a lot of people's personal lives. And so um, I've learned a lot along the way and happy to share my experience. Okay. So what is, like, the first thing, like, where where do you start? Yeah, so I guess I'll start with just um, a message of empathy and hope. <laughs> um, I'll start with, like, the happy ending for myself personally, as I do have um, a child. And so it's been a long road to get there, uh, but hang in there, um, because there is no greater moment than giving birth to your own child. The second thing I'll just say is it can also be an uncomfortable topic just because it's so personal and you're talking about reproduction, which includes body parts and um, intercourse and sometimes even faith and religious issues as it relates to, you know, is this a natural act of God or is it an act of science? And so you just never really know um, who you're talking to as you share your experience. So this, again, is just my personal experience. I am not a nurse, not a doctor. Um, I'm going to explain what I understand of the process, but please know that it's just based off of my experience and not based off of anything else. Yeah. Well, thank, seriously, like, thanks for being open about this and, sh- I guess, yeah, sharing your experience in something that is so personal. Okay. As I thought about uh, becoming or talking on the podcast couple of things that I thought would be important. First, just understanding the levels or phases of family planning or actually bringing a baby into the world when it doesn't happen naturally. Uh, The benefits components and how insurance plays into that, I think it's important to understand the backdrop of the levels in order to understand where insurance will kick in or not kick in. And then the third component is because having a baby isn't really considered medically necessary. A lot of times it's standard to not cover 
a lot of the treatments of infertility. And so navigating self, self-pay and maximizing some of the non-insurance resources is really important. And then the last thing that I'll go through is just around self-care and support that I've just learned that is necessary to survive and to uh, maintain that hope uh, just because it's, it's just a really challenging thing to go through and it's very time consuming. Sound good? Yeah, sounds good. All right. So these are the phases in my experience that uh, typically come about. Uh, First, this is just general, like natural conception would just be having intercourse with your partner, uh, timing your ovulation, and then going from there. So that's how majority of the world experiences bringing a child into into the world. The next phase, really, I think, is supported natural conception. And so this is typically where you're talking to your primary care physician or your OB-GYN and saying, I'm having problems conceiving. What do I do about it? And really, I think the first step, um, which is interesting, is just more frequent intercourse. Um, The first doctor that I saw literally said, um, well, you just need to have intercourse every other day for four months. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) And so that was like the first prescribed method. Um, And then from there or along with that, there's some just basic prescription assistance. You'll hear a lot of times Clomid, uh, if you have friends going through it, is typically like the first step. Um, And just making sure that you are ovulating and tracking and timing on an app or any sort of thermometer, just timing that ovulation and then making sure you time your relations to support it. The next phase really is if that is not working and not working for a period of time, and this is where I just suggest people listen to their gut. Like I knew um, I didn't need my doctor to tell me, you know, to wait that four months. Like I knew something likely was not right. Um, given the time that I had been in a relationship. And so from there, you really transition from your primary care or your OB-GYN into what I would consider more specialized care or physician, which is um, typically like a reproductive health facility. Um, And that's typically how it's called, um, reproductive health. And so that leads you into the diagnostic phase where you're trying to determine if there is an issue with either your body or your husband's or partner's or if it's just unexplained. And I thought it was interesting when I went through this process, the first thing that I learned, um, and again, this is just my experience, not my research or anything like that, but a third of the time typically is a female's body or reason why um, there are conception problems. A third of the time it's male focused and a third of the time it really just is unexplained. Like through the diagnostic phase, you go through a series of tests, um, both you and said the male, and sometimes everything comes back normal and there's no explanation as to why you're not conceiving. Uh, from a female perspective, it could be a couple of things. Number one, it could just be your eggs. You could just not have any. Uh, it could be that you have lots of eggs or eggs, but they're just not viable. Um, it could be that you're not releasing them from your body. And then it could also be the reception of sperm and just how that implantation works. Uh, From a male side of things, it could be that there is no sperm. Uh, It could be that there are mobility issues, meaning like how the sperm swim. They Mm -hmm. don't swim. 
um, or they don't implant into the eggs properly. So those are some of the most common reasons that doctors are looking for in the diagnostic phase. This is interesting just because you would never think, like, in my mind, it's either you're fertile or you're not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just never thought of there being so many reasons or there not being a reason mm-hmm. for it to happen. So mm-hmm. that's interesting. I think also uh, some topics that we'll discuss on here as it relates to uh, in vitro fertilization or IVF specifically, sometimes people go through some of these family planning Uh, more aggressive steps just because they have history of disease or other things within their family history that they don't want to um, conceive a child naturally and they might want to uh, look at the makeup of an embryo before they get pregnant or they might want to use donor or donor eggs or donor sperm just to make sure that some of those diseases don't progress or get passed along so I found that to be interesting perspective that I learned along this way. So this isn't just for uh, people who may or may not have problems conceiving. Um, After the diagnostic phase, that's where I would consider you moving into like a medically assisted conception, and that's really the treatment plan uh, based off of what's found throughout that diagnostic phase, really. Uh, Really, there are two paths with the diagnostic phase. Sometimes things can be found that can actually medically be wrong within the body that need to be fixed. And I think that's important because as we think about insurance, like if something is medically wrong and it has a path to treatment, then that could be covered by your insurance depending on what it is. But many times the defect or the reason why you aren't conceiving, even when identified, sometimes there's no fix for that. Yeah. Um, And I think, you know, one example of that in the case of, like, male infertility is there's not really tons that you can do medically to fix the mobility of sperm. Okay. Just is what it is. Yeah. So even the diagnostic phase, um, you can find something, but that doesn't necessarily mean you can treat what you find. Okay. It just helps determine what the next treatment plan is to help you get pregnant. Are you out of options in that? Like, maybe you don't know. But are you out of options in that case? Or, I don't know, you keep trying and hope? Potentially, you can be. Um, I think many people keep trying, obviously. um, And you hear of lots of stories where it's medically impossible for me to have a baby, and then 10 years later... yeah people have babies. Yeah. Um, and so that's sort of that unexplained situation. Um, but I think the purpose and the helpfulness of the diagnostic phase is determining what gives you the best odds to conceive. And so that's where you work with your doctor to come up with some sort of plan of action for, again, achieving the best odds for having a baby. Right. Because that's ultimately what you're yeah. trying to do. Um, from the diagnostic phase, that's really where you lead into treatment and treatment can be really simple things like uh, at the initial phase, vitamins, like a whole host of vitamins. I took tons of vitamins and just diet. It can start as simple as that. Okay. Um, it can move into, like I mentioned earlier, just a, a whole host of different medications. Um, some 
taken orally, some via injection, some via vaginally. Just really just depends on what you're dealing with. And then beyond just general medication and intercourse, then it leads to things like, uh, you'll hear IUI, which is intrauterine insemination, which used to be referred to as like artificial insemination, or I would consider the slang term turkey basting, (laughs) Um, which is basically just a deliberate introduction of sperm into the uterus or cervix for semi-natural fertilization of an egg. Okay. Um, And then the other piece and more aggressive approach is in vitro fertilization or IVF, which is where an egg and a sperm are combined outside of the body to create an embryo and then placed back into the body. Okay. I'll pause there. (laughs) I guess with... I guess with that part, I, there are a whole slew of questions that come through my mind. And again, I don't know if you know the answers to these, but when you're doing that outside of the body, mm-hmm. like one, how long does that take? Mm-hmm. And two, I feel like I've heard this myth <laughs> where when you do that, there's like a ton of eggs. So like you could end up with like, or like a ton of sperm or whatever it is, mm-hmm. I don't know. You could end up with like triplets. Mm-hmm. Or you could end up with nothing. Like, you literally have no idea what you're going to get, basically. Yeah. That's with IVF, specifically. Okay. Not so much the IUI. Uh, with the IUI, um, basically, it, it's somewhat more of a natural process. There's nothing natural about any of this, let me just say, which is why I feel like it's just important to talk about it, like, factually. Yeah. Because it's not natural, and it's yeah. uncomfortable. Um, and that's why I think a lot of people don't talk about it Um, but with IUI you are collecting a sperm sample Um, you're giving it to the doctor and they do what they call a wash just to basically dilute it down into what they actually need and then uh, they inject it into the female's body based off of the timing of when an egg is going to be released and that egg could be released naturally or through what is called a trigger shot, which basically forces the egg to be released. Okay. Um, And after that happens, there's lots of waiting. So there's what is referred to on the blogs that I suggest you don't pay attention to. Um, But if you talk to anybody, it's like the terrible two-week wait because everything that happens, you're waiting two weeks to find out what's going on. Uh, But just back to the egg release, I think, you know, there's – you can – support that with medications or without medications. And so this is important when we talk about the insurance piece, what's covered or not covered, but um, everything can be supported via meds or no meds. Um, And so with the egg release, and one thing that um, I found interesting, typically you don't really think about the scientific process for conceiving a child or what your reproductive system is doing you learn it in like fifth grade in sex ed class and then you never really think about it beyond just the basic mechanics to either have or don't have a child Um, but basically what's happening inside of your body is you have what's called a follicle in your ovaries that is a fluid filled sac that's sort of like nesting an egg and when the follicle gets to be a certain size 
like 18 to 20 centimeter or millimeters and you get to know all this stuff because you're in like the doctor's office <laughs> and they're measuring on the yeah. um, ultrasound and you're like please be 20 millimeters you know um, when it gets to be that size then it releases that egg into the body and so there's meds that can make your follicles grow bigger okay. um, and then there's meds that can actually make your follicle release the egg so that you make sure you time your IUI or your insemination with that. Um, Personally, one of the diagnostic things that I found out was that I have PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, and so here a lot of people, it's fairly common actually, and so my body creates many follicles, but they don't ever get big enough to release the eggs. Interesting. And so bring that back around when you talk about collecting a lot of eggs, um, that impacts the IVF process. So I, the initial steps for me with, with the IUI was that um, I took medicine to make my follicles get bigger and bigger and bigger and then had trigger shots that would make me release the, um, the egg into the body. Okay. Um, one thing, I don't, I don't know if you're a Sex in the City fan, I actually am not. <laughs> okay. Um, but Charlotte in Sex in the City, uh, when she was going through family planning issues, the thing that she realized is that her body actually killed sperm. And so that can also be a common problem for conceiving. Okay. And yeah. so IUI is used a lot with that to bypass your cervix and go straight into yeah. your uterus to implant. Okay. And so just... Lots I didn't know that was a thing either. <laughs> fascinating things that can yeah. happen that you just don't really realize. Yeah. But once that happens and you wait your two weeks and you take a normal pregnancy test and go on with life and yeah. hopefully you get pregnant and you move on. I think on the in vitro side of things, when that doesn't work, and I think this is just all goes back to the relationship you have with your doctor and making sure you have a really comfortable relationship with your doctor, again, because you're talking about really personal things. Um, at some point, you realize that's going to work or not work, or you're tired of investing the money yeah. into um, unsuccessful attempts. And so you go the more aggressive route, which is that in vitro fertilization. And so in this process, um, you take hormones to stimulate the growth of eggs. And so that's a lot of injections over the course of several weeks. And you're trying to grow those follow- as many follicles as you can. So like normal people will have one follicle that gets big enough to release one egg. And you're trying to grow as many follicles as possible to get as big as possible to prepare yourself for an egg retrieval surgery. Um, And that's the process where they physically go in and, um, again, this is the non-scientific version, but they go in with like a tiny needle sort of arthroscopically and they poke into every single follicle and suck out every individual egg. Um, And so in the case of like PCOS, I create many follicles. And so when they gave me the follicle stimulating hormones to get the follicles to grow, that produced many, many, many eggs. And so in my mind, I considered like my ovaries like grapevines, like there's (laughs) lots of... (laughs) Oh my gosh lots of things growing so it's very uncomfortable and crampy and um I will say the biggest thing I learned from the egg retrieval surgery is it relates to um 
this process that I was not prepared for was the recovery from that the doctor told me it would take like two days and you're back to work it's like no big deal but they retrieved 30 eggs from my body and okay. so if you think like 30 little tiny yeah. pokes to my organs um, it was terribly uncomfortable I was not ready to come back to work but had not planned for it it was during open enrollment season nice. and so um, there's not like schedules that you can rearrange you've got commitments yeah. and so I wish someone would have told me how painful that was um, I think it was worse than childbirth quite honestly I just was not prepared for it that's good to know um, so from there, when they retrieve the eggs, I think the other thing, like there were 30 eggs retrieved, which is a lot. Some people just get one. Um, so it's very fortunate in that regard. But from there, you have like lab techs that look at your eggs to understand of those eggs, how many are good. Okay. So in my case, only like 19 of the 30 were actually viable. Okay. And then you're fertilizing the egg in a petri dish essentially yeah and so you have to you get whittled down from there on okay 19 were viable how many actually fertilized and so for me um that was only nine and then of those that get fertilized how many continue to grow and in my case all of the nine continue to grow there is one little step in between sometimes they put like the sperm and the egg in the petri dish and let magic happen from there um, there also is a process where they can actually inject it into the egg so if there are any issues with the mobility of sperm like they will do that um, okay. and all of these things have costs associated with them okay. which is just an interesting and sort of unfortunate part of the process Yeah. Um, and so from there like what blasts the term that's used so basically they're just looking at how quickly the cells multiply from day one to day three. If things aren't blasting, then they'll try to implant at day three, but the goal is to get to day five of letting it grow on its own. Um, that just means they're healthier, stronger embryos. So when an egg and a sperm get together, it creates an embryo. Okay. Um, and so from once you get the ones that have blasted and the good ones, you either implant one or multiple, or you freeze them for later. The two paths that you take. I have heard of, like, freezing your eggs, but I honestly always thought that was a joke. Mm -hmm. Well, you can freeze your eggs, but freezing your embryos, your embryos. Okay. are also two different, two different things. things. Yeah. So an embryo is actually fertilized, and an yeah. egg is just something you've extracted from the female body, not put together with any sort of sperm so I don't know if you know this but if like let's say you really did only get one egg mm -hmm. like you said you had a bunch but you only got one mm -hmm. do you keep trying to get more and then do that process or does that person just hope that that one is going to work out yeah so you implant the one and then if you want to have more children you start the process all over again but in my case, so we implanted one, and it worked for me on the first try. And then now, any attempt that I have after that is called what, a frozen embryo transfer, where okay. there's still a series of medicine to get my body and to trick it into thinking and get it prepared to, like, receive the embryo. Yeah. 
but I don't go through the whole egg retrieval process because I already have the embryos. And so um, they just, you take a medicine for two to three weeks and then they implant. And typically that medicine isn't injection-based, at least for me, it's not injection-based like it was during the uh, preparation for egg retrieval. It's just regular medicine. Yeah. Um, And then in the case of multiples, like you said, sometimes depending on the health of the embryo, people will implant two. And sometimes just based off of how much money you have. So like I know of some people who have basically demanded that two embryos get put in in the hopes of twinning because they did not want to have to go through the frozen embryo transfer process. Yeah. Because again, that's a just more expense. Yeah. And so, um, is that how that works? They'll, they'll, if they both are born together, they're twins, but they're probably like fraternal. I don't know. How does that work? Do you know? Yeah. So there's splitting of embryos, which creates twinning. And then there's basically two eggs, two separate eggs, which creates, they're different kinds of and that's how it twins. works kind of like naturally. In your body too. Okay. Your body released two eggs that happened to get fertilized or you had one egg that got fertilized and then split. Yeah. So the reason doctors don't love, especially going through the first time, um, the first in vitro with putting multiples in is because there's still the chance that your embryo could split. So you could put two in and then one could split or both could split mm-hmm. or... And then you have four. multiples. Correct. Interesting. Correct. So a lot of times, and I think doctors are getting much better than this, like the Octomom stuff <laughs> from way back yes. in the day. Like in vitro, science is getting better and better. And so as doctors, I believe personally, are becoming more comfortable, they're recommending a lot of times against having multiple embryos implanted unless there's a reason like miscarriages or the health of the embryos are not looking good um those kinds of things okay the last thing i'll just mention just because it can add more cost to the process but um i don't know can be helpful especially if you've had like a history of miscarriage is they can look at the genetic makeup of your embryo and even identify things like Down syndrome or other genetic abnormalities that either might cause some sort of um, disability or birth defect or might reduce the chance of uh, conception or increase the chance of miscarriage. So if there's some sort of chromosomal abnormality, they can figure that out before they implant. Now it's expensive and so some of my personal friends who have had previous miscarriages have gone through that expense just to make sure whatever is being implanted is the best opportunity that they can yeah. give themselves. And then I've had um, my personal experience with no history of miscarriage when I went through in vitro. And so there was no reason for me to believe that there were any sort of chromosomal abnormalities between my husband and I. Yeah. So we decided not to go through that genetic testing process yeah but that's also where you can get like people talk about gender balancing or um christy Teigen got like slammed in the media for picking a girl versus picking a boy and um i know she's been pretty passionate about fertility stuff so that's people hear about gender balancing like it's some sort of posh thing to do 
and she actually just had infertility issues and they probably mm. looked at the makeup prior to implantation for other reasons. Thanks, Carrie, for sharing your personal story and also your own knowledge on how infertility works. For our listeners, tune in next week where we're going to talk about how infertility works with your benefits. See you next time. Nothing we say in this podcast is representative of any specific plan and should not be construed as legal, regulatory, or accounting advice. If there is any discrepancy between what we say and your plan document, your plan document will always prevail.